Off the Ball. Find us on Twitter at Off the Ball. News Talk 106 to 108. Good afternoon. You're very welcome to the Sunder Paper Review this afternoon on Off the Ball. I'm joined this afternoon by uh, journalist and broadcaster Marie Crow. How are you doing, Marie? I'm great. Thank you very much. And also Jack Anderson, uh, Director of Sports Law at Melbourne Law School, is with us. We have flown you over specifically, specifically for this Sunday's money. pay-per-view. Yeah. You landed this morning. You're going home tomorrow? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So just a flying visit, just specifically <laughs> for you. <laughs> but no, what were you? What have you been in town for? How so, long are you home for? So just uh, home for a week. Um, we had a major sports law conference on uh, Friday, organised by the Sports Law Bar of Ireland. So it was, you know, discussed various sports law issues, some of which come up today as well so it was a it was a good day and uh, we were talking about the regulation of MMA which is a hot topic in Ireland at the minute and uh, yeah it was a good day. Very good um, so we'll get right into the back pages anyway and naturally it is Ireland's win against Scotland yesterday that pretty much dominates things. Uh, the Sunday Times say back in the groove Rory Besta says it was hard but we took a step forward picture of a smiling Jacob Stockdale uh, bursting through to score Ireland shrug off England loss to beat Scotland 22-13 at Murrayfield. Wasn't the prettiest game, though, I think everyone would probably say. The uh, Sunday Independent probably captures the mood of the game a little bit better. Ireland muscle way to victory. Joey Carberry makes a break on his way to setting up Ireland's crucial third try, scored by Keith Earls. Uh, Brendan Fanning starts his piece by saying, what started with a bang at Murrayfield yesterday with Scotland coming out of the blocks from the first whistle turned into a long sequence of grunts where Ireland always had enough get back into the winner's enclosure and also then down towards the bottom of the page Kerry's Sean O'Shea kicking a point against Dublin last night in their great 118-214 win brilliant game of football Kingdom Edge thrilling finale to lay down early marker Uh, Kerry are back is the general consensus on the uh, 9th of February but we'll (laughs) we'll get to that later on Uh, Jacob Stockdale also on the back page on the Mail on Sunday uh, celebrating his try yesterday roaring back Ireland dig deep in Edinburgh to reignite Six Nations campaign but Sexton concussion is a big concern. Uh, Sexton went off yesterday, uh, failed a HIA test uh, midway through the first half, which uh, saw Joey Carberry coming on and uh, have a great game at out half. Uh, Carberry is the picture on the back page of the Sunday World. Carberry goes past Scotland to set up Earls for crucial try. It's Joey the Slip, uh, Ireland's Hall of Fame out half. Ronan O'Gara labelled, labelled Joey Carberry. A world beater as Joe Schmidt's side got back on track in the Six Nations in Edinburgh. And also their fighting talk from guard. Pep Guardiola believes today's clash against Chelsea will prove whether Man City are back on track in this title race or not. Uh, City and Chelsea, or yeah, Man City and Chelsea is our live game today this afternoon at four o'clock. Uh, only a small little picture of the uh, Irish team yesterday. Jacob Stockdale scoring his try on the back page of the Sun. Headstrong. Joey Carberry kept his head after Johnny Sexton suffered a knock to his in Murrayfield yesterday. But uh, they lead with uh, the pretty horrific abuse. Football was dragged into the gutter yesterday as moronic fans shamed their club. Two sick yobs faced life bans from Southampton for mocking the death of Emiliano Sala with vile aeroplane gestures during their defeat to Cardiff. Their headline says, uh, shame, vile plane taunt, sick heart attack tweet, twisted fans disgrace football. Uh, on the back page of the Star on Sunday, best men, Rory praises his tartan tormentors after Ireland's win yesterday. And the picture of Conor Murray diving in for the opening try of the game at Murrayfield yesterday. And finally with the Sunday Mirror, Jeannie and Tonic, Liverpool 3, Bournemouth 0. Midfielder climbs off sickbed to take top again. That was uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum's great goal yesterday. 
Uh, beautiful lob uh, to put Liverpool, I think it was 2-0 in front at the time, and their 3-0 win against Bournemouth, which sent them back to the top of the table. Joey Carberry at the top of the page, he scots the, he's got the lot. Joey Carberry went from zero to hero to get Ireland over the line at Murrayfield, but there are fears for star number 10, Johnny Sexton, and also show me Demony. David De Gea is refusing to budge on his £350,000 a week wage demands in his contract standoff with Manchester United. Uh, so, guys, we'll get straight into the action. I suppose we'll start just with the debrief of what the papers are saying, really, about yesterday's win for Ireland against um, against Scotland. One piece I actually uh, I found quite interesting. I think it probably summed up the kind of game it was. Uh, Stephen Jones probably isn't the most popular rugby writer, in, uh, certainly to Irish fans, but I get the impression yesterday he was so fed up with what he saw at Murrayfield yesterday. The first half, really, of his match report is just... It's almost like a list of things he now hates about modern rugby. And he does eventually get into a debrief, and it's, a, it's actually a fair enough debrief, I think, of you know, the, the skills that were wrong yesterday. Yeah. And a few things that happened well, but just some of the things. Scotland's aspirations to greatness or even goodness, perhaps even to win the Six Nations title, died a horrible death in yesterday. All those hopes springing from a lively first-half performance were extinguished by an Irish team who themselves were in no great shakes but know how to win. Uh, going on further then the second half with respect showed how awful rugby can sometimes be if you add the interminable uh, length of time these days it takes to form a scrum or a line out the endless debates directed at the referee uh, the pitch invasion celebrations by replacements when uh, rug- when um, uh, when play is going on and all the other rubbish that now intrudes on in what is normally a great sport no wonder it sometimes grinds to a halt Whatever momentum remains in the final quarter will evaporate as up to 16 replacements arrive. The trendies call these benchmen finishers. Quite right. Any semblance of a spectacle and coherence are finished when they arrive. Um, I don't think he enjoyed yesterday at Murrayfield. There was actually kind of a marked difference. If you like the match reports that were written by Irish journalists and then the match reports that appeared in the paper, maybe from journalists that... Um, that aren't weren't Irish were were quite different. Like there was a lot of relief in the analysis, and yeah. um, like Neil Francis calls it a performance of substance. And then like the other match reports um, were saying, you know, Ireland were there for their taking. They were ordinary. You know, it was very much focused on the negative, whereas the Irish slants were trying to focus, I think, on the positives and get things back on track. Um, after the uh, defeat to England, there was a huge amount of focus as well on Joey Carberry and his performance. And uh, Johnny Sexton and the HIA featured an awful lot as well across all the pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, one intro I did like as well was of uh, Hugh Farrelly. And it's probably just touching back to the overreaction of the last week and yeah. how it fed into <laughs> yesterday's yeah. performance. It was quite good, though. I'll just read it out here. Much more like it and much needed. And now can everyone please, for the love of Jim Staples, calm the hell down. Some of, the, some of the hysteria that greeted Ireland's opening Six Nations loss was off the charts, as noted last week. Getting an English stuffing did not suddenly turn Ireland into turkeys on a slow roast to Japan, and neither should this victory over Scotland send IRFU serfs scurrying for the silvo. We are a ways off trophy polish yet. The Six Nations title is a long shot, but that's OK in a World Cup year, and our Far East aspirations are still a work in progress, one that demands a perspective abandoned specular, uh, spectacularly in the build-up to this Murrayfield clash. One of the major downsides to Irish rugby's explosion of popularity has been the cacophony of white noise with it between mainstream media and its degenerate social cousin. Everyone now has an opinion. Lads who did not know if the ball was stuffed or pumped 10 years ago are now excreting knee-jerk dogmatism like a wonky bottle of HP brown sauce. Yeah, that's a good I think piece. that actually sums it up very that. well. <laughs> that was a good piece. I, think it's, I think it just sums up 
Yeah. The, the performance week, yesterday, absolutely. the performance last week, yeah. and the seven days in between, yeah. very, very well. Yeah, because even from the England game, and England played well, that, mm. that was the bottom line, but even the Monday afterwards, suddenly Ireland were being described as caveman rugby, and uh, you know everything that we had done well, we were suddenly doing badly, and even the whole system and stuff like that. But this, the reaction to this uh, victory over Scotland, it almost started immediately afterwards in the TV studios where... People like Ronan O'Gara and Shane Jennings were saying, you know, good day, all the basics are right, scrum, line out, we got away with it, tough place to go to, and let's move on. And then you had someone like Matt Williams who was saying, well, look at our attack, you know, some of our tries were based on mistakes as well. And I think probably one of the better pieces then is Neil Francis's piece, which is a quite solid piece, basically saying what Ronan O'Gara and Shane Jennings have said, look, you know, if you consider what happened against England, you know, the week recovery was a good one and we move on from this. We kind of have a bit of a break now. We have the Italy match and uh, we saw how Wales dealt with that um, yesterday. And then you have two big matches then, Wales and France as well. And I think all of the papers are kind of saying as well that the Six Nations this time is important, Mm -hmm. but really there is another thing coming later in September and October, which is more important still. And that's that's where we're looking at. I think that Rory Best quotes um, after the game were pretty bang on. He just said, we'd ideally like to play better and play with a bit more fluidity than we did today. And I think that kind of sums it up, really. It was grand. Like, no one's going to get too excited. There isn't going to be any hysteria after anything yesterday. And they're just going to get on with it now for the rest of the championship. Yeah, and and on that back page on the Sunday Times as well, actually, I meant to say it a couple of minutes ago, there's the... uh, the picture of uh, Rory Best lifting the uh, the centenary quatch, yeah, yeah. Uh, which they won uh, yesterday against Scotland, and I think it just sums up the the mood. I yeah. remember watching it on TV yesterday. I've never seen someone look so bored lifting yeah. a piece of silverware yeah, in my yeah. life. Peter O'Reilly actually he picked said, it up and yeah. and literally went. Yeah, Peter O'Reilly said it. he looked suitably sheepish as he <laughs> yeah. as he received it. Yeah. And you can see the picture there. He's. Yeah. What am I supposed yeah. to do yeah. this now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Race, yeah. It, it, it was job done, but there was positives. There was positive mm-hmm. for Carberry. I thought mentally he was very tough. He, you know, he threw the intercept pass, but then really did well in the second half, which is a you know a huge uh, positive as well. Obviously, uh, there are talking points uh, with the Stuart Hogg um, I- I injury, and equally with the Johnny Sexton mm-hmm. uh, injury as well, which Marie has kind of highlighted. Yeah, there was a. I thought it was a quite a worrying intro in one of the pieces. Uh, Joe Smith hopes Johnny Sexton will shake off a head injury in time for Ireland's trip to Italy yeah. and it went on to say that uh, that the that the, um, the 33-year-old failed a head injury and that he Joe Schmidt later downplayed the extent of Sexton's injury um, which I thought was quite of a worrying theme to that uh, to that to that piece when you think of head injuries and how much we're talking about them and yeah and it was it was a strange one because it was very hard to, to find where it happened mm-hmm. um I think Schmidt said after the game it was he thinks he got a stamp and he actually thinks it was from one of their own players that yeah. it happened maybe yeah. just in yeah. a rock or something but the, yeah. we, we couldn't really see it at any stage yeah. in the game yeah. very, he, very he did take a lot of big hits oh, no, he did up say, until and, then and that is a point that yeah. you know I think Schmidt has, gone, has highlighted as well in, in his quotes afterwards about those um, not saying that they were late some of them you know were clearly uh, late but he's saying you know this is clearly a tactic now and what can we do uh, with regard to Johnny Sexton but also you know 
know that with, with the I think it was the Stockdale try, he's an incredibly brave player, Johnny Sexton. Mm. I mean, yeah. the whole thing of delaying the pass until the last minute and then he's taking making the himself hit. a sitting duck. Well, absolutely, I, I did a, a piece for the Examiner during the week on concussion in the NFL and talking about great quarterbacks and how they get hit late and set. I mean, he's like that, he, but he is mm. an incredibly brave player. But with player welfare, etc., comes the need to protect them as well. And you know, there's a, and it's not directly linked in any way. But there's an interesting piece in in, in the uh, Mail Irish Mail on Sunday today about motor neuron disease mm-hmm. and um, possible link uh, to contact sport. This is coming in the context of the Doddy Weir Foundation. Doddy Weir, the the uh, ex Scotland international. But it's 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 um, and the Mail on Sunday has been quite you know, uh, campaigned on this issue, yeah. concussion and contact sports, football, rugby, uh, etc. But the, the the one point they're making, and it's a point made by Ian Herbert in his piece, um, he just talks about a, a survey that says the risks of developing motor neuron disease are eight times higher for those who receive repeated blows to the head and spine while playing sport at an equal level. Mm. Now, how the control factors involved, how many people are involved in that, we're not quite sure in terms of the survey, but there's more and more going into this um, research into this, uh, and that's it's just a, it's a worrying issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no doubt World Rugby has been extremely aware of it. Mm-hmm. But know. I think when you hear language like shake off and downplay and head injuries yeah. all together, like that's straight away a, a red flag and a, yeah. and a real worry when you when you hear those things. Yeah, it really is. And I was actually interested to see as well at the start of that they just kind of mentioned. Um, where was it? Um, this is the most definitive investigation of its kind ever undertaken into the case of fatal neurodegenerative de- 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 disease, mm-hmm. uh, which has afflicted rugby union's Daddy Weir and used founder Vest Hazen and football's Fernando Ricks and Stephen Darby and Lenny John Rose has discounted the idea that blows to the head sustained in amateur or park sport can be a cause, but repeated, blow, repeated blows sustained at a high technical level. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's an interesting. And th- it's that's, where the trouble really yeah, arises. This is the trouble, and we've got this kind of overall link between what they call CTE, which is a degenerative uh, uh, brain disease, and playing contact sports such as NFL. Um, I, I think the difference uh, is that you know, for years, for decades, big sports like the NFL denied it that there was any link. Uh, one thing you can say, in fairness to World Rugby, they are not denying that there are issues and that they are and they're getting involved with rule changes and the tackle line and all this and that's why it's quite important sometimes you hear commentators saying oh the game's gone soft mm-hmm. and the way they referee the, the tackles etc you know there's soft and they're safe and there's a the future of the sport and I think that's why we need to kind of uh, promote the safety issue as much as we can Yeah and it even goes uh, just off the top of my head even from the last week I remember um Oh, I can't remember his first name, an Australian international, Fainga. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was yeah. a video doing the rounds yeah. of him talking about how at yeah. his brother's, he has had serious issues with head injuries and concussion. Yeah. He had to be held up at the altar yeah. at his brother's wedding yeah. from the sheer dizziness and you know, yeah. feeling faint. Yeah. And when you see things like that, when you hear a player talking about that, you go, OK, on what level has this game possibly gone soft? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it's just that we need to be kind of, they say, paternalistic. You know, players want to play on. 
uh, and particularly when you're in the middle of a tournament like this, when you're in a, an important year for Irish rugby, they want to play on, you know, and they want to be available at all times. But So you have to have your protocols in place to, to deal with this. So it's, it's a big issue. I'm sure they don't like us talking about it either. Like, they don't like us talking about them themselves, like individual, personal, um, like... They don't want their names in the spotlight as having consecutive concussions or having head injuries regularly as well. Yeah, and as uh, I think Liam Hayes is actually writing about it on, in that sidebar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on that on that side of the page in the Daily Mail, and he's saying that, like I remember last year when everyone was constantly asking Johnny Sexton about yeah. head injury yeah. after head injury. Are you always getting concussed? Are you going to retire early? Yeah. How is this going to affect you? And he really got fed up about it. And started saying, look, I haven't been concussed mm-hmm. half as many times as people think, etc., etc. And he's just kind of saying, you know, the fact that it's come up again yesterday, this is still an area of concern. Yeah, and, and I think, I suppose it's easy to kind of diagnose things and to make judgments when you're sitting on the on the mm-hmm. couch watching the television. Yeah. But like when you if you fail a HIA, you, you fail a HIA, like yeah. there's, a, there's a problem there. And it's impossible not to be worried about uh, sports stars when you see them in any kind of a, a position where they look like they're getting hurt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's, a, it's an important, it, it puts a lot of focus too on the doctors and physicians who work within sport as well because, you know, and we've seen it from other sports like in, in the NFL where sometimes, and I'm not saying it happens over this side of the water, but sometimes it's happening in the NFL where the doctor becomes part of the team uh, and it's, it, they sees the players as teammates and as friends and you've, you know, it, it, it causes a kind of a conflict of interest as well uh, so the need for independent review of this is hugely important. And again, that is the case in world rugby. But it, it, it's a general point about how physical the game has become. And it's not just um, it's not just confined to rugby no. either, because he mentions, uh, is that Ryan McHugh um, there in yeah. the Elliot yes. yeah. and yeah. the situation that he was in where he had to take a break from the game. But like he, he's not going to stop playing. Like They still want to play. Um, I had a brother-in-law who was hit with a hurley and... Uh, he was very lucky that he actually survived. He played for Claire Jim McMahon and he just got a hurley through the helmet and he was lucky that his sister was a doctor and she managed to spot the symptoms but he had to learn to speak again. Uh, former mm. Claire Hurler who had mm. four young children couldn't say their names when he eventually came out of um, out of an induced coma. So like, it's, it's great to have these conversations because at least no matter what, people are getting educated on it and that, you know, it is an yeah. issue not just in, in rugby but other sports as well. And, yeah, that and, we and even in hurling, they are clamping down at this yeah. year. I yeah. do remember yeah. reading the week before the National League yeah. started yeah. that, you know, contact with the head, accidental or otherwise, is going to be punished yeah. severely. And we had it on the opening weekend where Tony Kelly was yeah, red carded yeah. in mm-hmm. that yeah. game against Clare. Yeah. There wasn't much in it, but he yeah. connected, I think it was a Potty Mara's head he connected yeah. with. Yeah. He was red carded. A lot of people were, yeah. were were using this, the game's gone soft line. And, yeah. you know, it's yeah. it's so hard. I, it's something we've discussed even on this pay-per-view loads of times as well before that there's probably going to have to be a long period mm-hmm. of harsh calls yeah. Yeah. and a long yeah. period of frustration. Yeah. And I don't think you can ever be too careful. To change the culture of the way these tackles yeah. are yeah. happening. Yeah. Because, like, even with, with Dermot Bachman, it was a club game. And it was just a stray hurley just happened to, to get him in the exact spot at his left ear where where he just 
managed to or he just collapsed to the ground and he wasn't able to get back up again but he did try to get back up again yeah. and he wanted to keep playing yeah. yeah and he had no idea and the people around him had no idea because there was just no education on that there might be a problem here and he was just blessed that his sister was a doctor and happened to be there yeah yeah and it, it has there was a little bit of a backlash um, from some within Hurland about this this new edict of, from the referees but you can see where the GA is mm-hmm. coming from on this you know and actually Sometimes with helmet legally, I would imagine as well. Oh yeah, I mean with helmet sports as well. Sometimes there's a tendency, you know, I'm covered by the helmet. Uh, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll be okay. You've seen in there, but actually the force of that impact as well can can, can uh, make things worse. So it's it's just you know I think it's a very wise move by the GA and this. Um, it, it may take a little while to settle between contact that is kind of accidental and incidental than contact which is deliberate and intentional but if you're erring on the side of caution from the world of sport you can see the the, the view is you should err, err on the side of caution. Because it's better to, to do it and implement it before something happens because yeah. it's when something happens and then you try and react afterwards that there's trouble but also like like um, rugby players like GA players are getting stronger, fitter, faster yeah, all the time. Like, you know, we're getting um, more sports science involved in the game. Like, the programmes are coming in younger so that when they are older, they are um, much stronger. So it's, it's a good time to do it before something does happen. Yeah, moving on, uh, just a very small bit. Uh, the man who came on for Johnny Sexton yesterday, Joey Carberry, he's one of the Irish players that's getting a lot of praise uh, yeah. in the papers. And I have found it interesting in the last while, as much as the Irish media are absolutely loving the potential and yeah. what we've seen of Joey Carberry so far, so far, it's the UK media that are really going in behind him as well. They're absolutely loving him. Like uh, I was reading Stuart, Stuart Barnes, Barnes here this yeah. afternoon. Yeah. There's there's life after Johnny Sexton. The Irish Pivot and World Player of the Year was unceremoniously ejected from proceedings on 24 minutes. The moment many in Ireland were dreading, but maybe the one for which Joe Schmidt had been waiting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I said it earlier, mentally he was so strong because when he came on, you know, uh, he threw the, the bad pass, but he, he really settled into it. Uh, it was interesting yet, uh, as well, and it's mentioned uh, in the English papers as well, they say it's the Irish system at work as well. He's playing games regularly yeah. for, for Munster, and so that, that's the strength of, of it as well. And I mean... You know, uh, we said it before, but this, this this Six Nations, you know, the way the games are coming, it's going to be the same in the World Cup. Yeah. You know, Joey Carberry is going to be a big feature of it, mm-hmm. uh, and we need it. And, and it's going to be so attritional that to have somebody that we know can perform at that level. Absolutely. Is, mm-hmm. And that's a big lesson from previous World Cups. Yeah. For and us. also as well, like just from a like a sheer journalism point of view as well, it's, it's great to have that new story, you know, to yeah, have yeah, somebody to yeah. focus on, to look at him, to kind of delve into his background, to explore what he's good at, you know, yeah. all the, where he's came from, where he's going as yeah. well. So it's nice, you know, to have somebody new coming along to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is one piece as well, before we move away from rugby, there was one piece uh, that, as he came in today, I had read it this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack, when you came in, you mentioned it to yeah. me. Marie, when you came in, you yeah. mentioned it as well. And it's in the uh, Mail on Sunday, uh, a piece by Nick Simon. Um, tracked down in Samoa, here are the witch doctors who rebuilt Manu. It's about uh, Manu Tulangi, the English centre, who was outstanding last week against Ireland. I'll just hold up the page there. Uh, he was outstanding against Ireland. It was his first Six Nations start in six years. A player of enormous potential, but who has been savaged by injury over the last few years and what Nick Simon has done here he has gone to Samoa and he has spoken to this faith healer this witch doctor to the western world who Manu Tulangi spent time with last year to try and you know get his you know get his health back together again and you know 
alternative medicine to the injuries he's had for the last few years. But the intro is just fantastic. I think it just <laughs> it sets the scene so beautifully. It's uh, an hour's boat trip from the Tulangi residence on the Samoan island of Apola lives a 56-year-old widow in the village of Alaufa, uh, Alafua. Her small wooden hut at the end of a dirt track is surrounded by uh, lush banana plantations and flowering be- uh, breadfruit trees. It's almost 10,000 miles away from Leicester, but this is where Manu Tulangi ended up in his quest to overcome his demons. It's um, it's just such a quirky piece. Yeah, like I, I think I described it as almost clickbait in the paper. It was like the minute yeah. I saw it, I was like, "Witch doctor, man!" Headline jumped out. Yeah, yeah, I need to read this now. I need to know what it's about. But, and in uh, fairness, the the content of it lived up to the headline. Absolutely, I thought as well. it yeah, was really yeah, interesting. It was, yeah, it was great because um, I didn't actually when I saw it, I didn't expect him to have gone there. You know, to actually mm. have gone on the on the big uh, on the boat. But I thought he was just going to get a bit of hearsay or, you know, interviews with people that maybe had... Ordered by his mother to go there. Yeah, it it was really good. Um, Now, obviously, it's a little bit, you know... um Bonkers, I suppose, is one yeah. way of, of putting it. Not you believe in yeah, the science yeah. of this medicine. Yeah, it's still yeah. a, a really interesting yeah. story. But it, it paints a great picture, and you know, he's she she mentions that um, there was kind of some demons following him around, and there was you know these demons were women who thought that. Uh, that they owned him and she mm. needed to speak to these demons or these uh, spirits and tell them to leave him alone and, and that seemed to have worked. So <laughs> if only uh, everything was easy as that. But like it's, I think he's such an interesting character anyway. You know, we've kind of, it feels like he's way older than 27, like mm. that when he mm. arrived on the scene um, back in uh, 2010 and 11 that um, he was so young. So we kind of watched him mature and, and grow up over yeah. the last number of years. And he definitely had an awful lot of maturing and growing up to do, but he seems to have done it now. But it's like he's a, it's nearly almost like he's a different person than that guy who was uh, doing all the crazy stuff back in the days of, you know, jumping Absolutely. off boats and um, causing scenes uh, at Downing Street. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was, it's a really interesting piece because he, this, um, because Nick Simon had actually put an awful lot of, uh, an awful lot of effort in to get the story and to, to, I suppose, kind of think outside the box. Like, he didn't just analyse his play. He went for something uh, something really different, and it's it's good. Yeah, like, it's something we would have seen in the past as well. I'm just, uh, it just triggered in my head. Uh, Waisaki Naholo, the all-black winger, yeah. it's something he had done before. Mm-hmm. He broke his leg before the 2015 World yeah. Cup and went to, I think he went back to Fiji uh, to have this kind of yeah, yeah, healing yeah, yeah. treatment. and. Yeah you know, whether it worked or yeah, not. <laughs> because it, it makes a kind of a difference. You know, sometimes you get the, the rehab stories where yeah. the, the athlete <laughs> says, it's very lonely and I was on the treadmill. And then you get this, you know, yeah. uh, you get uh, everything from coconut oil to uh, all sorts of things, you know. And there's actually kind of another another layer to it as well. Like he spoke to the, a guy that used to live with him and... Um, it details just how low he was feeling when mm-hmm. he was injured and he was trying to get back and he was trying to get back his mm. form as well. So I thought that was interesting that his spirits were so low as well as, as being injured that uh, he was just kind of struggling to, to cope with it. So it was interesting to to hear that side of, of mm. how he was dealing with things as well, as well as the... Uh, going to the witch doctor. Yeah, and recently enough, I read. Um, I don't know you're familiar with Ben Ryan. He would have been the Fiji Sevens yeah, head yeah, coach yeah, yeah, that won the yeah. Olympic gold yeah. medal with them. And he's brought out a book in the last year called Sevens Heaven. It's just about his kind of journey yeah. with Fiji and how he ended up there. And uh, it's it's an absolutely brilliant book. Yeah. But there are there are a few stories quite like this in it, where yeah. at times he's kind of tearing his hair out at mm. their their reluctance towards you know traditional medicine and yeah. things like that. There yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Like. Tragically, even there was one of the players uh, he coached, his wife was suffering from breast cancer and they were shunning all the traditional medicine and, you know, mm. this faith healer was going to was going to cure her. Mm. And, you know, ultimately she died and it was, you know, it's absolutely tragic. And he's mm. 
eventually, after begging and begging, trying to get him to, you know, use traditional medicine, he just had to accept that, you know, this is this is the way they do it, this is the way they live their lives. And it's their culture. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. their culture. And there was another player who uh, was suffering from diabetes and he, he was using these, these faith healers and these witch doctors trying to figure out wh- why is this not working? And it was only when Ben Ryan convinced him, let's combine the mm. actual yeah. medicine yeah, with yeah, this yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly it worked. Yeah. Well, yeah. In their heads, you know, the, you know, the, the, the faith healing has yeah. worked. You know, yeah, their medicine yeah. has worked. This stuff is this stuff is extra as well. It's yeah. it's a fascinating book, though. And yeah, it was kind of an underrated book. It kind oh, of, I love yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a really interesting book. You know, from not just from the sports point of view, yeah. but from all that that Life. cultural yeah. point of view as well. Yeah. I did see the mini doc. He did a little mini doc mm. as well um, on his time there as well, which was great. But the thing about this as well, though, you know, it's kind of like everything. If uh, Tulagi has another great game now um, today. Like anyone that's yeah. injured will be like, right, how do we get over to this witch doctor to, <laughs> yeah. to get myself sorted? It's like uh, the way the teams go, you know, if somebody runs up a hill at six o'clock in the morning, then everyone's running up the hill at six o'clock <laughs> in the morning. So I'd say, watch that space now to see yeah. what happens. Right, uh, plenty more pieces to get through. We are going to take a quick break, though. We'll be back in a few minutes. Off the ball. Find us on Twitter at Off the Ball. News Talk 106 to 108. Now you're very welcome back to the Sunday pay-per-view this Sunday on Off the Ball. Marie Crow and Jack Anderson are with me in studio. We've gone through all the rugby in the first half an hour of the pay-per-view. Uh, a couple of really good GA pieces. Um, there was one I saw you mention this morning, Marie. It was uh, an interview by Michael Foley in the Sunday Times with Eamon McGee, former Donegal defender Eamon McGee. Uh, it's ahead of Guido's All-Ireland Club, uh, club semi-final next week. But... It's not really about no, it, is it? No. It's not. And you know what? I read before I read this. I'd read pages and pages of analysis and reports on attendances and finance and ticket prices. And when I read this, I just thought everything that is really fundamentally important about the GA is mm. actually in this. That that other stuff is just incidental because what the GAA gives people and what the GAA is about is reflected in this piece. It's about community values, support networks, friendships. Um, all those kind of things. And this piece with Amy McGee was just, it captures all of that because it just kind of documents what has happened in Guidor. Um, the deaths, uh, the death of uh, Michal Wartry was on their their team and he was a friend as well as, as a teammate. And like the headline of it at the, at the very top, he said, I, I was his biggest influence. You think, did you make enough of an effort with him when you had that influence? And straight away, you're just thinking about what that community mm. are going through, um, the effect that's having on everybody up there, a really small place. But as you read it then, you, you kind of realise that something tragic has happened, but they have the GAA there to support them, and that means mm-hmm. an awful, awful lot. But it's just a beautiful piece because like, the easy thing to do is not talk about these things or not talk about these people, and they just become a number, like a, you know, a, however number of, of people have died on the road. But... Amy McGee here, he, he makes us realise that um, Royce, as they call him, you know, he was he's more than a number. He's a friend, he's a yeah. person, he's a he's a brother, mm. he's a teammate. And he just gives us that insight into, you know, the relationship they had and how um, you know, he was like he said, he was an influence on him, um, how this young guy was growing up and he idolised McGee and and he also just shows us as well how difficult the whole um 
the, the number of weeks have been on him. Just he talks about going to the wake and not being able to to look into the coffin to see his friend and how he mm. regretted that. And um, he he made it his business to go back the next day and to go in and, and say goodbye. And just telling that, I think it's it's a real tribute to 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 Royce as he calls him. Yeah, and I think it's that, so important to say it. Yeah. That paragraph in particular was probably the the most yeah. chilling, the toughest to read, even about how he was at the wake and he couldn't look down. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, yeah, at me hall and had to go back a, a day or so later yeah. before the funeral. And it's very brave mm. to say that as well, yeah. you know, to, mm. to give people that insight. But I think it's 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 just really nice because it lets us um, know him a little bit. You yeah. know, lets yeah. him, let lets us know me hall a little bit because. Um, you know, so many, so often these people. You know, we just we just forget about yeah. them. But now we get to see that you know he's he's more than a number. Absolutely, he's, he was such a, an important person to so many people. Yeah, and it's just right at the beginning. You know, as you say, McGee talks about well, you're there sitting in the dressing room in your usual place, yeah. chatting to each other, and then days roll by, and there's a coffin in front of you, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just it's an incredible. Uh, piece about that and about you know McGee's influence and he mm-hmm. kind of brushes it off and then suddenly realise yeah maybe I did have an influence mm-hmm. or and what maybe I could have done more and that self reflection and also the place the community has uh, and the awful tragedy involved in it yeah. and all encapsulated in this piece and brilliant a brilliantly written piece yeah and as the well. importance of the GA as well and and like he says that you know they've got a game now and they're not going to try and you know it, it would be disrespectful. To to make it about him, yeah, you know, but yeah. they, that they would like to help the family to to just forget yeah. for a minute, just to kind of get caught up in the moment, and um, th- like that's that GA, that's everywhere, that's yeah. communities all over the country, where um, it's more than just it's more than just a game, that it's it's a way of life, that it's yeah. without it people can't survive, and that it's so important in times mm. of tragedy that you can lean on the GA, that you can go to your club, that you can go to your friends, that you can go to your training, that. The yeah. parish, the everything, your identity is—it's—it's it's there and it's—it's it's wrapped up in the GA as well. Yeah, because you know you always get the cliche, the tightly knit community, mm-hmm. and you kind of what—what what is the fabric of yeah. that mm-hmm. knitted community? Well, it's, it's in in community like this, it's the GA, mm-hmm. you know, and so that probably com- you know ninety percent of the country, it is that local GA club. Yeah, Most, well, yeah. say ninety percent of rural communities. Yeah, in the yeah, and, and and the other sports clubs as well, you know, play hugely important. So that, that's the point. There's also. You know, points in it about um, um, McGee himself as mm-hmm. well, which I think is, you know, he talks about Mickey Hart coming yeah. to, to, to visit uh, the players as well. And uh, at one stage it says, McGee's personal beliefs as an atheist with a passion for science, graphic novels, and an outlook that would leave him diametrically opposed to Hart in almost every way. Yet there was some comfort in Hart's mm. mm-hmm. myth. That, that was fascinating. Well, it's an outstanding paragraph yeah. that gets in so much, and mm. uh, so so I thought it was a great piece. Uh, and uh, there's other parts to it as well as being an intercounty player and the club and uh, what the, 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 these club championships mean. But yeah. you know, obviously they're secondary to the, the key point to it. Um, but a, a fantastic. Piece. And I think after reading all the, I suppose the analysis on the recent drop in figures and the ticket prices yeah. and all that. That sometimes you you forget about what the J is about. You know, yeah. you're, you're focused on the elite game. You're focused on whether football is good or bad at the moment, and you know you're focused on the negativity. And like this, just strips it back, and it just focuses on everything that's mm. good about the GAA mm. and, and yeah. what it gives people. And I just thought it was a real super piece, and um, it was just the perfect antidote to everything else, and just such a. Like again, I can't stress how brave Amy McGee is to talk about this because people generally mm. don't. They don't let you. They don't. They don't give you quotes about. Um, 
you know, their own doubts or how they're feeling, you know, just the, you know, wondering, you know, was he enough of an influence on him? Mm. Like to, to even yeah. be able to say that, like, was was just pretty um, astounding. And as as a journalist, is it how hard is it to kind of to write a piece like this when you've you've done the interview, you've spoken to someone, you probably have half an hour worth of mm-hmm. absolutely chilling, heart wrenching stuff on a tape recorder, and you're sitting there going, how do I how do I lay this out? Yeah, it's hard. Because I, I, I would say there is yeah, a tons of pressure to treat it sensitively, mm-hmm. to treat it correctly. I did the did piece with Kenny Shields after Ryan McBride died and it was quite similar and he, you know, he wondered within the piece if perhaps they had trained a little bit too much that week and you know, he, he questioned things that he had did as well. And But with something like that, like when people open up like, like Eamon did or, or like Kenny Shields did, you know that they want the story out there. They want to talk. They want you to tell the story about the the person that they've lost and I think that makes it a little bit easier because they've given you what you need they've given you the words that they want you to say and then you're able to just kind of weave that as best you can to 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 pay tribute to the you know to both of the people to the person that has passed away and also the person that has has given you these words and, and shared their their thoughts with you as well but it is a, it is difficult and it is a pressure but um, Michael Foley just did a, a wonderful job. Yeah, it really is uh, absolutely well worth uh, reading this weekend, even if you've zero interest in Gaelic games whatsoever. Yeah. I think it's yeah. just about it's about sport at the very yeah. root of it. It's yeah. about you know club, community, friendships. Yeah. Mm. The yeah. fact even that he's saying, um, you know, from the time as a kid, McGee coached him in school. McGee was his superhero in Donegal costume. He wasn't in the first team squad, but leading into an All-Ireland semi-final, Gwydor needed everyone pulling them forward in one direction. On Sunday, McGee Snapchatted him a link to a documentary, No Reply, No Panic. Yeah. Then he saw the news. Yeah. Four men killed in a single vehicle crash in Donegal. When he saw his brother's name flash up on his phone that night, he knew. No. Yeah, it was, mm. it, it, it was chilling, really. Mm. It was really chilling. And I, I said earlier today that the emotion in it is breathtaking, mm. and it really is. Yeah. Um, and as you said, it's, it's, it's for everybody, whether you're interested in GA. Like, um, again, there are, there are actually quite a few layers to this as well. And, like, it's funny when I think of Eamon McGee, I... You know, I don't ever really think of the vulnerabilities that we're seeing here. And he talks as well about how he had to, um, you know, he retired and how difficult it was and, you know, how he started to, to get a little bit down and he had to reprogram himself mm. and, and to change his identity, reprogram his identity so that he wasn't just the footballer and he was a dad and a professional. And I'd say there's an awful lot of people who will read that as well and and relate to that. So, like, again, for... Eamon McGee to you know lay himself yeah. out there as well. It's yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, and even on the footballing side, there's a very interesting line. He says when McGee was made captain in 2017 of the club, uh, his first decision was to pass it on to one of the younger players as a message. This was their team to shape. Getting the hammered in 2016 by Nave Connell in the county championship had left them bereft of hope or a plan. Beating them in the county final last year and stretching their ambitions to an Ulster title was a startling measure of their progression. Just the the notion that. Yeah, you know, I imagine being named captain of your club is an incredible honour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in those small clubs as well, where it's just completely ingrained in life. Yeah, and the idea that you're just going to say, you know what, I've had my day out yeah. here. It's I'm not going to make yeah, this about yeah, me. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're going to yeah. make this a team for the future, and yeah. you know, give it to a younger player. 
it's it's an interesting time of year for NGA in terms of there's a lot of focus now on clubs, you know, mm-hmm. because you've got the, the senior club, intermediate and junior, and you get stories, you know, mm-hmm. uh, obviously the story is of itself, you know, yeah. but there they are wider Definitely, stories, yeah. you know, um, uh, this weekend, St. Enda's in Belfast. Yeah, we were talking about that last yeah. week yeah, on the, so on I, the pay-per-view. I, I, I played against them many times in Harlan and Belfast, many times, and uh, I, I just, you know... Going in that gate and you see the the see of what happened and you know it's 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 an incredible story. You mm-hmm. get that and there's also a very good uh, piece I think uh, in the Sunday Independent by Dermot Crow on yeah. Castle Blaney mm-hmm. and 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 hurling as well. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, like uh, as someone you know, I played, I ended up playing junior hurling and we got in All Ireland junior hurling semi final and uh, we lost. And I, I remember it's the biggest disappointment ever because you miss out on that opportunity to get to Crow Park, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's, we criticise the GA and God knows there's plenty of criticism mm-hmm. today in the papers, but they're fantastic competitions, you know, those club competitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Sean Kelly as president brought them in mm-hmm. and that vision is great and you, you see it, you know, there's in, in so many stories and the insight it gives you, not just the GA, but Ireland mm-hmm. as a whole. And also you, you don't just focus on the players because they're not the big stars that we mm-hmm. know about, so we get mm-hmm. to hear about yeah. the volunteers as well yeah. and the people yeah. who are making the sandwiches and line the pitch and washing yeah. the jerseys and yeah. all that sort of stuff as well. But one of the reasons that we do get to hear an awful lot about these kind of um, these, these club teams is because we don't have access to county players as much as we used to as well. So we kind of have to think outside the box and look for the stories that are unique and the ones that we don't uh, that we wouldn't necessarily cover if we uh, if we were on our usual beat that we'd just be looking at the the big stars and the big names and the big league yeah. matches because we are in the middle of the league as well and like it's a really interesting league as well. So. Yeah, and that probably leads into, you were writing this week, you have an interview in the Sunday Independent with Mark Plunkett of Leitrim. Yes. <laughs> and even beforehand you were telling us, like, you know, you were sitting there last week on who am I going to try to speak to this week? And Yeah, I was looking through, through the, the fixtures. I was looking through the fixtures and looking at the counties and I was thinking, OK, this county, don't talk to people. This one has a media manager. I haven't a chance of getting an interview with anyone from this county. And then I just got as far as Leitrim and I thought, you know what, now I'm going to try somebody for Leitrim. And I, I was looking for someone that was a little bit younger as well that um you know probably didn't have any wasn't carrying any weight on his shoulders for on his shoulders for maybe not um having success for a, a long time so uh, a friend of mine put me in touch with Mark and I sent him a text message and then after I sent him the text message I got a phone call off a number that I didn't know and when I answered it they hung up so I figured there's something uh, there's something funny going on here so when I he eventually got back to me anyway and we arranged to meet and when I when I met him I said uh, you know, were you worried that perhaps this was a bit of a setup? And he he admitted that he was because he said, "You know, I'm from Leitrim. Nobody ever asked anybody from Leitrim to do an interview." And I've heard so many horror stories about people being set up for interviews, and it was actually their friend at the other end of the phone or somebody on the other end of the phone just um, playing a joke on them. So we had a bit of a, a bit of a, a chuckle about that. But he was actually Mark was great, and um, like as he said, he'd never done an interview before, um, even though he's been on the intercounty team for for uh, a number of years. But he was uh, he was quite refreshing because he was open and he and like again you know wasn't at a press conference he wanted to chat we were having a coffee he you know I wasn't when I went to meet him you know I wasn't looking for any big headline I just wanted a little bit of insight into Leitrim mm-hmm. and and what they're doing and yeah. how they're getting on and why they're doing well and he gave me that like he he mentioned that they um, that they had brought in Robert Morehouse to a business a sort of a business advisor to do some practical uh, tasks with them which was quite quite interesting um, to do workshops with them things like where they're given um, 
they're given a main structure and they were told that you've got to put into teams and you've got to try and build this and they were given a plan and they were given five attempts to do it and then the first one, the average was 27 minutes and by the time they'd got to the fifth attempt, they were down to 30 seconds, but it was about problem solving and mm. just changing the yeah. mindset and yeah. being able to deal with things on the pitch. So um, you just give me a bit of insight into to Terry Highland's setup without like, you know, without giving anything away or without yeah. saying something that's going to be pinned on anyone's um, dressing room. But another thing as well was that like I was quite interested in finding out like you're, you know, somebody who's playing for Leitrim, who doesn't have a big tradition of winning a small county like what drives him, what motivates him. And it was quite fascinating. Like, you know, he's exactly the same as every other football footballer around the country. You know, they want to win things. Like he might not see Sam Maguire coming home with him anytime soon, but like he'd love to win a Connacht title, get to a Connacht final. So like he's got the same drive as everybody else. He's got the same commitment. Yeah, and I think like the the very last quote in the entire piece probably sums that up. He says, for Leitrim to get to a Connacht, uh, get to a Connacht final and repeat 1994, that will be incredible winning our first championship game would be a good place to start. Yeah, mm. yeah. It just shows the kind of where a team is starting from. You <laughs> yeah. know. Five in a row. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and, it would, and again, like, it, was, it was just great for him to say that because, you know, I'm sure that the Dublin footballers are doing their absolute best for the next, will be doing their absolute best for the rest of the year, not to mention the five in a row, but he's just, mm. he's happy enough to say, yeah, like, wouldn't it be yeah. great now if we went out and won our first yeah. championship match and we'll see after that and if we got to a kind of final, yeah. like, you know, it was just super to hear him. And it was in, that. interesting that he started, and you have the table in the thing as well. He started with Leitrim being top of the table in mm. their division. But then he said, you know, which is kind of, you know, playing teams of our strength. Yeah. But then he says, well, I still, uh, winning a provincial is what I want to do. Mm. So that's, that's, it's a trick for the GA when they talk about tiering the championship. Yeah. You've got to get that balance, yeah, you because know. People dream up or grow up dreaming of, of winning provincial titles yeah. as well, and, yeah. and like sure, there's nothing in the world that would make him happier than than winning it as yeah. well. And uh, he was quite good as well on the being in DCU. And you know, when you're in DCU, you're surrounded by people who are coming from top class yeah. setups. Like you've got mm. Mayo players and Dublin players, and um, like it must be very hard for him to be sitting there in the dressing room and hearing them talk about what they have and the resources that they have and you know having to sit in the car and go down to train and knowing that um knowing that you know you're going to be at a disadvantage Mm. straight away Mm. because you don't have the resources of the bigger counties as well when you mentioned there like going down training as well like a bit that stood out and it's something i'd say you could substitute leitrim for half the counties in the entire country playing uh, for leitrim requires a lot of commitment they have 18 players living in dublin either in work or college so to ease the pressure, their coach Jason O'Reilly does a Tuesday session at Blanchardstown IT for these players. Like mm. everyone, everyone has heard stories, not just of Leitrim. Yeah. So many counties around the country, even bigger footballing yeah. counties Mayo. and hurling counties, everyone talks about Mayo, have a yeah. huge contingent mm-hmm. yeah. living outside their county, yeah. several hours away, and you know yeah. have to train apart for a couple of nights a week. Yeah, I know, and it's funny because there's all this debate about. Uh, at the moment about taking Dublin out of, of Crow Park like it's this big massive issue but like imagine if they had to, to 18 of them had to travel down somewhere that's that's two or three hours outside uh, their county I think you kind of don't even realise how hard it is until you talk to one of them and mm. they're talking about being in the car for you know six hour round trips the effect that it has on the legs and the body and all that like it's so yeah. difficult and the commitment like those guys in Leitrim are putting in just as much as anybody around the country as mm-hmm. well. Um, there are other pieces as well. We spoke about how all the uh, you know ticket increases and mm-hmm. things like that oh, are yeah. put into perspective, but there are quite a few pieces mm-hmm. on that. 
Um, and a lot of negativity. There's a lot yeah, of negativity, negativity around it, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, e- even um, Eamon Sweeney on the back of the um, Sunday Independent talks about the Super 8s and Gaelic football being a failed experiment, you know. Um, and I, I must admit, I really like uh, Eamon Sweeney and Eamon Sweeney's pieces, but sometimes you go, well... What do you want then? You know, in the sense of, and it's a bit like the rules um, experiments. You know, well, we try these now. What do you want? You know, so so there there is that. I must admit, um, last night and we were talking about it, the game between Kerry and Dublin, which is reported on as well, mm. was was a fantastic it game. Was, you yeah. know, and yeah. uh, a high scoring game, one eighteen to two fourteen. Um, mind you, I, I contrasted the Kerry Dublin one eighteen to two fourteen with um, Fermanagh and Kildare was eight points to six <laughs> down, and Westmead was ten points to nine. So between them, they scored less. Unfortunately, you know? it's the Dublin Kerry one is the anomaly there. You know, it's yeah. not the regular. It's the it's the um, it's the exception to the rule, which yeah. is such a pity. Yeah. Fair, so with the negativity all around it, it's probably worth just taking these little victories for the game when they come. Totally. I tweeted last night. I think that was the game we all deserved because yeah. we've, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've yeah. been subjected to uh, to all these low-scoring battles of attrition for so long that it was just yeah. uh, it was super to see. Yeah. But, like, we're talking there about, you know, the Eamon Sweeney saying the Super 8s is a failed experiment. Uh, on the other hand, then, you look at what went on last night and you're thinking, should this not be happening in the summer? Hmm. That's, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The best teams yeah. playing each other. Well, K- Kieran Whelan, who, who was uh, commentating afterwards, said that immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, if you think of it, they're two evenly mean uh, match teams at a provincial uh, ground, packed out in on a Saturday evening. You know, there's a lot to like about yeah. it. But you, you know, you, uh, in fairness to Porrick Duffy with the Super Eights as well, he did say it was an experiment. He did say, well, bring it in for three years and let's see how it goes. You know, And I remember after the first round of matches last year, people were going, that's it, it has to go. I mean, uh, so you wonder at times, you know, let, let's think about these things because for the sake of the uh, Leitrim players who want something to aim at, mm-hmm. we've got to get this right, you know, and the tier championship. Um, but it, it, yeah, there are even um, uh, with the pieces today. There's a lot of pieces on the ticketing issue mm-hmm. uh, as, as well. Um, Michael Dignan in the mail and uh, Dennis Walsh has a few pieces as well. It's and not going away. No, it's, no, not, it's, it's, not. it's the immediate reaction is you shouldn't have done it. You yeah. ought not to have done it. Uh, and, and that seems to be the, the gist on it as well. The one, the one point that is made by, I think it's uh, Dennis Walsh makes it in his piece. He, he yeah, does, I have it here. He mentions about um, in the seventies they did a major review called the McNamee Review. Yeah. Uh, um, and I do think that a kind of a long-term strategic thing needs to be done with the GA in this. You know, um, it, we're all very reactive mm-hmm. now. But we need to kind of sit down and think about where we're going. I think last year they did a thing, 150th anniversary, where will the GA be? But they didn't publish it. So I think that's a good point as well, that um, the 24-7 hour news news cycle is not doing the GA any favours. And it needs to kind of uh, look at this in a long-term perspective. Because it does seem to be kind of going from one crisis to the next crisis. And... The negativity just keeps building and it's it's just constant week after week. If it's not structures, it's rules, it's Porky Cueve, yeah. it's yeah. ticket prices. And yeah. like the thing about the hurling was when the hurling is really good, it, it kind of took away from some of the negativity. But like this Kerry game, it's not every week. You know, we're not yeah. having these great games all the, all the time. So we don't even have that... Um, the exciting action to kind of distract mm. from the negativity. So because the action isn't always exciting every week, we're still focused on the things that are going wrong or the things that we have a problem with. Mm. Yeah, and even just on the occasion of last night, I actually thought uh, Michael Foley 
his opening paragraph was lovely, just setting the scene of it. He says, uh, they were filling Stacks Park before tea time in their hundreds, then their thousands into the seats and terraces and finally on the grassy banks where no one was meant to stand. Nearly an hour and a half before the game and Liam O'Connor could rouse up a stand almost full with the accordion playing of Schlie of Lucre and by the time Kerry emerged, the night had already taken on an energy of its own. The only worry was that the football could drag the atmosphere down. Yeah. Luckily it didn't. It didn't, yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, definitely, I think the, the home and away and our venues are great. I went up mm. to... Tyrone last year when the Dubs were playing and it was just a really good day out mm. and it wasn't a bad game either like it wasn't the, you know it wasn't as good as that but it was it was brilliant um, it was brilliant for the atmosphere and the excitement that comes when uh, the big teams go on tour so like it kind of when games are in venues like that where it is all exciting um, yeah. it does distract if the game isn't oh, good yeah. but it also kind of adds to the game because you know that game down in um that, that Mayo Kerry game down in Limerick, like that was oh, 2014. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the best games I was ever at yeah. in my life. You know, it was just amazing. Um, I don't even remember like how good the game was, but I just remember how I felt when I was there. Yeah. Like it was just yeah. everything about it was brilliant, and everybody was so close in on the pitch. So I think kind of uh, staying away from Crow Park is, is a good way to. to to go anyway for a start. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, Moving on, there was a League of Ireland season is coming up ahead of us. And were you wondering, you said, yeah, yeah, you mightn't have realised it uh, going off today's papers. Yeah, it's a little bit of a... Not too much coverage. No, it's a little bit of a pity. Um, There is a piece about Sean Ryan in the Sunday Endo, but that's kind of very much focused on the money side of things. And uh, I don't think that kind of captures the imagination for me, over the last couple of years, because the access to J players has got quite difficult, I have focused on the League of Ireland quite a bit in terms of getting stories and going for interviews because it's great because they want to talk to you and they want to um, they want to give you their time. So there is one really good piece in the the Daily Mail. Um, like I just need to point out as well, like the League of Ireland is starting on Friday, right, so yeah. like Sunday is generally when there is a big feature a mm. big interview with somebody looking ahead to the it's like the perfect opportune time to yeah. let's pick a person here now and delve into their backgrounds yeah. because there are so many uh, so many good stories so like I'm, I've been aware of Conan um, as a footballer uh, with St. Pat's and also uh, he's media work so he is a uh, he is a, a big personality, but I wasn't aware of what was going on in the background. Like I've yeah. met him at quite a few things. It's Conan Byrne, yeah, 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 over the over the last while, and um, it was uh, it was just really interesting. David had tweeted about it last David night. David Snead, yeah. yeah, he had tweeted about it last night, and uh, he I knew there was something interesting coming, and, and it certainly was. So uh, Conan has gone through a, a tough time. Um, his wife was sick, and um, she actually had a stroke, and all the time he was trying to to keep his whole life going, to keep his football going, to keep his studies going, to keep his job going, to to just kind of keep... because yeah, even the, aside from being a, you know, a footballer for St. Pat's and now Shelburne for this season, he's a primary school teacher. Yeah, yeah. Well. yeah. yeah. And like that, I actually thought that was a really interesting bit because like, I suppose like nobody really knows how much League of Ireland footballers get paid yeah, because yeah. like yeah, there's yeah, yeah, just, um, yeah. you know, the league can be a little bit murky at times that, you mm-hmm. know, you hear stories, but no one's actually sure. Like you wouldn't be able to put an average wage on anyone. But, you know, he talks about the struggles here of trying to save to buy a home and provide for his family and how important that was. And he went back to education. And, like, Conan was worried when he was back in education that it was a distraction from football and he didn't want people to think that he was being distracted by education. And, like, you think that if somebody is furthering their education and doing something Mm. great that it wouldn't be an issue or that he, he would be supportive. But obviously, in his own mind, he wanted to be able to to focus on the football but I think it kind of is a 
this piece uh, by David, just it's kind of an insight into the difficulties that come as well with football, like in mm. Ireland, because mm. so many people grow up wanting to be a footballer and so little people make it, as we all know, like yeah. the, the figures are tiny and they often go into the League of Ireland and, you know, it's not as glamorous as you would think it would yeah. be, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, there's, there's, and it comes back to the Sean Ryan piece as well in the Sunday Independent. I mean, there, there is this kind of idea that if, if Brexit is ever realised, you know, the number of Irish players going to England will decrease mm. and that should be good for the game. That depends on the game's capacity to to yeah to uh, actually yeah. house them yeah. yeah so and this is and that's why Sean Ryan's piece is really interesting because he's saying the financial model of a lot of the clubs is based on individuals uh, mm-hmm. philanthropic uh, you know kind of grants to those clubs and bailing them out and talks about Derry and Bray and um, even to a certain extent Dundalk mm-hmm. as well you know and that's why it's interesting in what Niall Quinn is saying about the you know reforming it mm-hmm. as well I mean there's a lot of models. I know even in Australia they have a kind of a franchising model which is essentially you centralise things Um, and that may be something to go on but it's a story that will go on and that's why individual stories like uh, we have in the the really gives you an insight into actually beyond the financial model what's happening on the ground yeah and also like you know players futures they they need to safeguard them the league needs to be safeguarded for the future but also players themselves and like somebody like Conan, you know, who is so successful and is a leading light in the league, you know, you, mm. to hear him talk about his, his struggles, I thought it was very revealing. And as he points out as well, like he's a player who has been through a failing club. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. He, yeah. he says he, he had previously maybe thought about, uh, about further education yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, his life yeah. after football. Uh, but he was at Sporting Fingal and everything was going well. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it was all fantastic. And he was thinking, I'm going to be here forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is all going to be fine. And less than a year later, the club went to the wall. Yeah, exactly. And every every footballer in the League of Ireland has a story like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. they've all yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. been, had ups and downs and in, um, been insecure and, and unsure of their futures as well. It's, it's a really tough existence. Yeah. And even he, on, I suppose, a lighter note, he's talking about you know, a few years ago, going back and deciding he's going to be a primary school teacher. It's something he thought about in mm-hmm. school, but mm. didn't get the points to do it. And, you know, at the age of, in his early 30s, having to go off to the Gwail Talks yeah. for a few yeah, weeks, yeah, yeah. being surrounded yeah. by kids who could speak more Irish than he could. Yeah, away from the dressing room, one fire into the other, I'd say, as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, like, again, I, like people who speak out about these things, I, I think they're great because... Um, it's so important to hear these stories and to hear about people's backgrounds and the struggles that they're going through because other people might be going through the same things and don't feel comfortable talking yeah. about them. And like that's the issue that I have with the, the lack of access to GA players. You're losing all of that um, information mm. and experiences mm-hmm. and it's the people that are coming up um, the next generation then are missing out as well and yeah. uh, the fans are missing out as well because you know you'll anyone that will read this will you know they'll know Conan a little bit better now after it as well I think which is nice mm-hmm. yeah mm. spoken to him as well before just a very nice guy very interesting guy yeah. he's, he's spoken a lot as he very into his uh, history yeah. yeah very very big into Irish history yeah, and yeah. Uh, loves talking about that as well but um player I'm sure we'll hear uh, a lot from uh, further down the line any other pieces as well so far um, just you, con- you, you mentioned con- Emiliano Salah yeah actually, you contrast that there's a big piece I think it's an observer piece that is repeat, um, published in the Sunday Independence as well by Daniel Taylor on the whole um, 
you know, the tragedy that was uh, Emilius uh, Sarah's death, you know, and um, he's basically making the point that the, the poor man's body is being taken out of the plane, the wreckage of the plane, and there is a legal dispute about the transfer money, fee. about the transfer yeah. between Cardiff and, and Nantes. But, and it's about that primarily, but it also gives an insight into professional football as well, particularly agents. Mm-hmm. And I think there's about five agents involved in this whole uh, deal. And so there's an, uh, an element of, of that as well. And uh, he talks about the agent, there's one agent in particular mm-hmm. that he talks about, and um, uh, the agent uh, happily admitted that he had planted misinformation in the media about Everton and West Ham wanting to sign Salah. And it just it just gives a, yeah. an insi- insight into the practices of it because a number of years uh, uh, back, uh, FIFA decided not to regulate agents anymore. Basically, yeah. let it let it go and let individual nations deal with it. And um, it's a problem for so many sports, you know, football, uh, even sports like uh, tennis as well. But it it gives a really interesting insight into agents. It also gives an interesting insight into Nantes themselves and the financial troubles they have in the background there as well. But ultimately, uh, he asks the person in question, uh, and Cardiff get a bit of a go as well for, for what they're doing as well, but he asks the question, is football still capable of doing the decent thing? Mm-hmm. Which in this case is not yeah. talking about it, yeah. respecting the family and respecting what's going on and deal with the rest of yeah. the issues I later. suppose the reality of it was that... like there was always going to be complications. There was always going to be issues. Something was going to come down the track. And he asked, but this quickly, did it really have to be this way? And yeah. like, that's, mm. I think he nails it there. Like, you know, the, they hadn't even they got the still, body yeah, out of the water. They were still searching for the yeah, body. Yeah, and money on. came to the surface. And There's a pilot still missing. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. nobody's thinking about that. Well, no, nobody there that he mentions anyway, when it comes to the agents are, are thinking about that. And it's just, it's really sad. And I suppose as well, we don't hear these stories that much. You know, we hear about guys from Ireland going to England, not making it, coming back, having to be rehabilitated, going through a really tough time. And often when interviewing these people, they might refer to having a bad agent or their agent not having their best interests at heart, but they never really divulge what that means. Yeah. But I think reading that, like, you'd have a fair idea about where the agent's priorities lie. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and the things then, like, you know, Nantes have retired their number nine shirt and offered to pay for Salah's body to be flown to Argentina, but we're still bickering over a transfer yeah. fee. Transfer, yeah. A week or so on from, yeah. from going missing. Yeah, and, and one stage it gives, uh, I, I think they've had 14 managers in 11 years, Nantes, and mm. they've had payoffs to all those managers. And so there's a commercial thing going on in the background. It's just... It, it's it, it's it, a story it, filled with contradictions. Yeah, yeah absolutely. and you have to wonder what's genuine as well and what's yeah, for optics. Absolutely, and yeah. Yeah, he makes that point very well. Um, anything else so far today? There's a couple ju- of racing pieces? Yeah, there's a racing piece. Um, David Walsh has a piece at the back of the Sunday Times on a major scandal in Australian racing where the leading uh, horse trainer... Our Australian uh, correspondent. Uh, uh, <laughs> live from Australia, uh, has been banned for uh, four years um, for various uh, offences um, in terms of racing integrity. Uh, the standout uh, piece is that he used uh, what are called jiggers, which is essentially electric shock treatment to uh, to uh, the horses themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing about, um, and David Walsh mentions that as well, is when we talk about integrity in horse racing and these kind of issues about our horses being stopped and is there a gambling scam, one of the things that's picked up big time in Australia is the animal welfare issue, that these horses are being badly treated for gambling purposes. And 
I know from talking to the racing integrity people in Australia, that is the issue that gets the general public involved outside of the horse racing. And David Walsh makes that point in that. And I know Irish horse racing and UK horse racing are very aware of that. Uh, so there's an extra element to this, not just the gambling as well. Yeah, I think the fact that I said he is as high profile really as you can get he's, in Australia. In terms yeah, of he's, he's the leading horse uh, uh, trainer or, and has been for the last few, a number of years. He kind of uh, exploded in terms of winning numbers. Um, uh, he won the 2015 um, Melbourne Cup on a complete outsider uh, with Michelle Payne was the, oh, the jockey in question. Uh, I think the, the horse in second was an Irish horse actually. Um, there's no question that, that there's any doubt about that mm-hmm. but it does show um, the importance of it. Now the one thing I will say is they raided that training facility, the horse racing integrity unit, with the police. They work hand in hand with the police. Um, and there is tight regulation of gambling in Australia. We have none of that in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, horse racing has to do it on its own. Yeah. Uh, and that's an point. The regulation of gambling in Ireland is atrocious uh, at a central level. And the sports are battling to deal with it. So that's an underlying so we, point. So we, we've obviously covered that story in Ireland and, and it has, um, it has uh, featured regularly in the news. Is it absolutely massive over in Australia? The, 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 the numbers involved, the betting industry is huge. Um, Australians are, and I like to tell them this uh, all the time, they're the biggest losers per capita when it comes to gambling. Uh, They they bet so much they lose a lot. But the reason they are is they use these pokey machines. Second is Singapore, they use a casino. We're third. Mm-hmm. And oh, we're, wow. we're pure sporting in a, in a sense. So this gambling addiction issue, this ga- lack of gambling regulation, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a public health issue in Ireland that we haven't dealt with really. Uh, there's a gambling bill that's taken ages to go through the Oireachtas at the minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need to get that done um, because this is an issue. And we've seen it with GA players. Mm-hmm. We've yeah. seen it with players all over the place. And with online gambling, it's, it, it's a serious issue. Yeah, there's some absolute horror stories out there. That's about, it. Uh, had players been addicted to gambling or I've heard a few times about you know lads walking into dressing rooms and everyone just been on the phones at half time just checking odds and yeah. betting running and everything it's it's worrying and unfortunately we have the head in the sand kind of uh, attitude towards oh it. totally totally because we like a bet yeah, you know we yeah. do and that's it you know but uh, we need uh, we need regulation on it our regulation goes back to the 50s you know and it's it, it's amazing that we haven't had it. And it's not the betting companies that are holding it up, you know. The, we just don't know what the, the political reticence is to get this done. OK, guys. Uh, I know there was one more piece that you wanted to mention about uh, trainer Pat Kelly. He's the tra- uh, pre- trainer of Presenting Percy who's the favourite for the uh, Gold Cup this year. Really enjoyable piece. We're actually... Just running out of time. Very quickly, though, Marie, you enjoyed it. What was it you liked I about did. it? I um, did. Just there's a lot of humour in it because he doesn't like talking to the media. It's almost become a, a little bit of a joke. Um, so Dennis Walsh spoke to a few people that, that know him and uh, just to try and get a little bit of uh, a feel for the type of guy he is and why he doesn't like talking to the media. And there's a, he has a quote there included in the piece from Davy Russell. Well, not only is Pat the sort to tell me nothing, he tells himself nothing too. So I thought that kind of summed it up very well. Uh, yeah, so guys, that is it. Uh, thank you to Marie for coming in and thanks thank to uh, Jack for joining us all the way from Melbourne. No Safe problem. trip. And when are you going back to... Uh, back later to next week. A few things to do here. A few things to check out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's it for the pay-per-view uh, for now on all of our social channels. It's going to be podcast as well later on today. Uh, we'll be back after the break. Off the ball. Find us on Twitter at Off the Ball. News Talk 106 to 108.